This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. Guys, good morning, people. How are we doing this morning? Good morning. A little cold. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> this ought to be a lot of fun today. We are in the middle of what would be a, a, a everyday morning thing in North Dakota or Minnesota. But we got sleet on the road, which means that we're all uh, we're unable. We we don't have the skills to drive today, <laughs> so we're like all. It. It's so pretty. It is pretty outside. It's beautiful, uh, but it is, it's cold and we are all FX today and we're, we're actually recording this podcast in the bunker that, that Glenn has, that has remained. Allegedly. In the <laughs> so anyway, but we got Pastor Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Now you're, you're actually, what, what town is that that you live in? What's the closest little town? Uh, burning, which uh, it it uh, it became a ghost town about fifteen or twenty years ago, but that's the town I'm in. Burning, burning, yeah, outside. It's in, it's in Jackson Parish, isn't it? Yes, I'm in Jackson Parish in the woods. And then and then Sarah is here in the the bunker at thirteen sixteen. I get Citadel. It's the Citadel. I can hear your voice through the wall right now, so it's kind of funny. We're we're in the same place, but we're not. Yes, we're on different phones. Sarah's here. And then Jim, he's in the little village of Dallas. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Small village, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's snowing here and, as well. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting to uh, what we're going to talk about today. I, I found out it's the institution of marriage. I thought it was going to be about sex. I was excited. It's just a part, small part of marriage, apparently. I thought that was what marriage was for was... Uh, anyway. well, yeah. James. You know, Jim, okay, so Jim mentioned the Songs of Solomon last night, and quite frankly, I had never read it. I really? think I just, like whenever you flip through the Bible, you see it, but you like I just never stopped and was like, let me read these. And I was shocked. Actually, both <laughs> me and uh our sister Katie were like, This was in the Bible the entire time. I'm surprised we never went through it in um in children's Bible school. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, a lot of a lot of sister brides that talks about. Let me tell you about my experience with that. Every time I try to make Song of Solomon a Bible reading at night, Charlotte fakes asleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be a cool podcast anyway. The, the compliments, the compliments in that uh, in that book, no longer work these days. I tried telling Emily that these are like sheep, and she did not like that. <laughs> like white, you yeah, use. Um, did she tell you your skin is like ivory that is encrusted <laughs> with jewels? Yes. I like you don't forget the gazelles. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, there were, yeah. there were so many gazelles. Yeah, uh. and um. And, and, I'm sorry, this I'm going to say this. This is going in a direction. Powers. I don't think we just thought it was going. Yeah. Well, aren't, aren't the, the gazelles, aren't they identical? 
that's a good point. So they're not different sized gazelles. That's good. You're right. Um, Mirror images. Wait, there's there's actually one of them that we specifically brought up. It was at the very end of the Song of Solomon, where it says, "We have a little sister, and she has no breasts." And it's like, wow. Y'all just said that. That that's very rude of you to say about your little sister. <laughs> anyway, you have a different just, relationship with your sister than I did with my brothers and sisters because we never read Song of Solomon together. <laughs> no, yeah, well, I don't we're think they were in the same room, room, but anyway. No, we were. Katie and I were in the same room reading well, it. You and, and Katie, it yeah. Because, mm-hmm, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, we were. We we both had a great time with that last night. Anyway. I think we need to go to a Bible verse. <laughs> Other than Very quickly, 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 quickly. <laughs> I am sorry if you'll hear my cat, by the way. Lisa's in here. Hey, so if you don't mind, uh, I'll go ahead and um, pick up a, Bi- a Bible verse about the institution of marriage. I know that Chris has a Bible verse in mind, but I'd like to read uh, Ephesians 21 through uh, 32, if that's okay with you guys. That's good. Okay. So this is about the institution of marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the war, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands also love their wives as their own bodies. He who also loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated is sorry no one has ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i am talking about christ and the church however each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband Heck yeah. And I think that that verse will, or those series of verses will essentially summarize much of what we talk about today. Well, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Ow. Okay. So the sacrament of marriage. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm flipping back to my notes on that. So uh, I love Catholic language. The yes. sacrament of marriage. <laughs> well, we, Okay. So do um do y'all know what sa- I'm ass- okay? So I know Dad knows what sacraments are, and I'm assuming Glenn does, and I don't know. But uh, do y'all know what that is in the Catholic Church? I don't know exactly what it is. Okay, no, I don't either. Okay, so sacraments sacraments are outwards. I know marriage. It's an outward sign of inward grace that's instituted by Christ for our continued sanctification. And so, so baptism would be a sacrament too. It would be. So there's okay. there's three categories of sacraments and then but seven sacraments total. 
So you have the sacrament of initiation, which includes baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. Then baptism of healing, which is penance and the anointing of the sick. And baptism of the service of communion. I think I just read that right. Lisa's tail is flopping all over this page right now. Mm. Um, it's And it's marriage and holy orders. And so that's basically figuring out your vocation. Um, so they're, uh, the way that we see them is that they're not, they're obviously not necessary for each individual, but, um, they're gifts that are given by the grace of God that please him whenever we accept them. And, um, so, so through these kind of like, this was, I guess these are probably some of the works that people don't like whenever Catholics talk about, Hey, works help with holiness and, and I guess justification or whatever y'all's terms for that is. But, um, it's doing those works and working with God, like through his grace. Uh, those are things that, um, bring us closer to him. Basically. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now you said that the definition of sacrament is an out, outward sign of inward grace. Yes. It's That's um, like a shorthand definition. Yeah. It's shorthand. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And they, they have visible and invisible elements. So we're saying that they're not just, um, they're not just like proof that we're following God outwardly so other people can see it, but mm. there's actual, um, I guess, holiness working within us whenever, uh, we get, we do the things. Yeah. Would it be fair that that's what Protestants call the fruit of the spirit? What is the fruit of the spirit? Well, I mean, I guess that there, I guess that there are, well, there's a specific verse about the fruits of the spirit, so it wouldn't necessarily be sacraments, but Fruits of the Spirit are essentially that. They're outward signs of your inward grace. And it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and temperance. Right. And so and so that would be like the spe- what's specifically outlined in the Bible, even though I know that those wouldn't necessarily be sacraments according to the Catholic Church. But Protestants often say that, that works are the, are the outward sign of your inward faith um i like I, I feel like they are you know it's i, I don't know it's kind of hard for me mm-hmm. to tell because I, I, yeah. I looked into sacraments a little bit to um make sure i had a good enough idea let's see but let's see i'm sorry the last note that i have on sacraments and then we can kind of maybe compare those like all of them but there's three yeah, may, I, of the may, I, may i jump in here real quick yes those are not the same thing. I just want to let you know that. Yeah, I was just saying, no, I, I don't think that they are. Yeah, I was talking to Jim. Yeah, yeah, Jim, if you ask that, Jim, it's more than that. The, the sacraments are are more than the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, but are, but they're outward signs of inner grace. Well... It's- it's it's like it's specific um it's not just a sign though like it's not like it's they're working together so it's not like whenever you um do this thing through the grace of god then there's some kind of um divine intervention because you're doing that thing right well i mean that's so uh, yeah I w- like we don't have to go into this because i know that we're talking about marriage today but mm-hmm. that is something that i would need further clarification on because Christians don't, I mean, Protestants, not Christians, Protestants Uh-oh. don't say Freudian that, slip. that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Protestants don't say that the fruits of the spirit uh, are happening 
separate from the inward grace that those two things are working together the outward signs and the inward grace are working together and so so i i would need some further clarification on that but we don't have to go into that today wait okay yeah and i think that's going to be interesting whenever we talk about baptism specifically because that's not what i get whenever people talk about baptism and that's like a whole i understand that the, like their fruit like you're talking about like the fruits of the spirit like there's the I guess it's different, like whatever you're talking about as far as those go. But I've never, I've mm-hmm. never thought about fruits of the spirit, so I'll look into those. You can look into sacraments, and we'll get back together on those. There we go. But marriage. So, um, for the Catholics, there's an extremely specific um, definition that I've continued to hear. So I just wrote that one down, and then there's, um, I guess, more uh, elements that you can break down within that main definition, but. Um, it's the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman established between themselves a partnership of the whole. I think that's an and of the whole of life. Sorry, my handwriting is horrible. It is by its nature addressed towards the good of the spouses and the procreation and edu- education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So it's um it's like obviously throughout there you can see what some of the elements are, but it's seen as a covenant. There's a man and a woman. Um, it's the whole life, meaning we are very against divorce. And um, there's the children part and then there's the baptized part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And as far as the covenant part goes, this is a three-way covenant. It's not just a covenant between a man and a woman. It's a covenant yeah, there's, between yeah, that's, a man and a woman and God. Yeah, that's that's always what happens with sacra- uh, sacraments is that there's uh, a divine institution that goes along with it and God yeah. working through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's also, uh, does mystery, is mystery anywhere in that uh, definition? No, okay. not in that. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't think it. I don't think it's necessary to be in there. But I would say that marriage is the mystery of Christ and the Church. It mm-hmm. is, and it doesn't mean that it, it's secretive or that we can't know anything about it. What it means is that it reveals something about Christ and the Church. I mean, uh, that's yeah, what mystery means there. Yeah, and and obviously, like the uh, the Catholic Church makes a ton of comparisons about like the significance of marriage because of its connection with Christ and the Church. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah, like, so, if you if you look into how Catholics view marriage, you're, that's going to pop up constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I think Catholics and Protestants are in agreement in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So let's see. Can like if we can kind of go through this and break down what we may or may not have a problem with. Um, okay. So, yeah. So like, first of all, it's starting with a covenant where, and this is where I think that modern, like people in modern days get it very wrong. Covenants are not meant to be broken. We can tell that with Christ where like, or I guess just God in general, where um, he'll make a covenant. Humans will break it, but Christ, like he, he continues with it. Like he's, um, he will not break the covenant with us no matter what we do. And that's the same thing with marriages where, um, as long as it's a valid marriage, then it cannot be broken. And that's even if you get a civil divorce, it's not broken in God's eyes, according to Catholics. Yeah. And yeah. yeah and it doesn't <clears throat> rely on parties actually doing any work. Like, I mean, like, obviously that's part of the um, definition, like how we view marriage is supposed to be happening is those both spouses are supposed to be doing the good of the other. 
But um, just because, let's say your husband is an alcoholic, that's not a reason for you to get a divorce. Mm, yeah. And I would say this, that uh, I like that Catholic viewpoint of marriage and divorce. And I think on the surface, is, I haven't studied it, but it looks like Protestants would definitely take it a soft approach on that. And it's not something that needs to be legalistic as far as damning someone to hell, but there's some sort of middle ground as far as what the Protestants are doing versus, you know, what I'm saying about if you get a divorce and you're damned to hell, like there's gotta be some sort of middle ground there saying that you might say that you're divorced in civil court, but in God's eyes, this was a covenant that you made for life. And there needs to be some sort of encouragement to be reconciled with the wife. I think the time that that you you're truly like you should be extremely concerned and careful about what you're doing and how to fix it Mm -hmm. is not just if you get a divorce, because like that, if you get a civil divorce, that's, that's Mm -hmm. bad. But you just, if you, if you like do the confession and stuff and you're, you, you're fine. Um, but if you get a divorce and remarry, that's whenever you're committing adultery. And that's very, very clear in the Bible. And that's Mm -hmm. whenever, um, there actually is an issue with, uh, with, um, your salvation. Mm-hmm. What, with your salvation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's where Catholics and Protestants would disagree, but well, are you, do you think, do you, would you say that you're committing adultery at that point? I would say you are, but as far as salvation, if you're talking about, if you're talking about salvation in the sense of being damned to hell, then I would say that that's where you and I would diverge. And I agree. I think this is going to be just an issue between Protestants and Catholics in general, mm-hmm. though, because, right, um, right. because yeah, we we say that you can like uh, correctly say that you can lose your salvation. It <laughs> <But, laughs> <laughs> hey, what but, we do is holy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, uh, so that's where I think that we're going to have a problem. Um, yeah. Okay. Primarily. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I think um, that so so regardless of the. Uh, regardless of the, of how we disagree on the extremes protestants and catholics i believe should hold the view together that whenever you divorce and you remarry you're committing adultery yes but it's just okay. about what what are the internal yes. consequences of mm-hmm. committing adultery yeah yeah we disagree on the internal Whether. consequences yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay. but we we agree that there is it's bad to do that mm-hmm um let's see and then going back to it um i think that we're we're very clearly going to agree on um it's it's established between a man and a woman yes yes some people are misunderstanding the pope and thinking that he's changing that but we yeah the catholics are very clear about that um and then let's see partnership of the whole of the life that that also kind of gives it the worst and then by its nature is it um ordered towards the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring so that's where we're going to go separate ways right well toward, toward the good of the spouses we will not uh yeah. toward it, that the that marriage is ultimately geared to procreation we can discuss that because there there's some nuance to that that yes, procreation is a natural product of many marriages, but w- yeah, we should get into that discussion. Okay. Okay. Because um, you sent me a series of good uh, citations yesterday of not the, what would you call them? They're not the apostolic fathers, but they're definitely early church fathers. Yeah, that's um, what I would call them. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah, call them early yeah. church fathers. So you got early that right. church fathers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and it seems like these 
So there's silence on the issue. And then all of a sudden it gets peppered in these writings that they're still early, but it's not in the earliest uh, times of the church. So for me, what it looks like is there's an emergence of contraceptions that are being used in the uh, second and third, second century and on to where the church is now addressing it. Does that what it look like to you? Wait, can you like, I just dropped you. I'm very sorry about that. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. That's okay. fine. So I'll, I'll repeat myself real quick. Yeah, no, no. The, I heard you, I heard, I heard okay. you about that. So it was when it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So uh, just letting you know, like the way that I got all of those is there's a book called The Fathers Know Best by uh-huh. my favorite author, Jimmy Aiken. Um, <laughs> and basically all he does is he picks a topic and um it, like specifically that the catholics have some kind of opinion on and mm-hmm. and finds all the church fathers who talk about it um yeah, yeah. first one and i forgot to send you this one it starts with barnabas actually and that was 75 but um uh, that- which sorry yeah because i actually have barnabas okay that one has to do it's a uh, letters letter of barnabas 10 but it specifically seems to be talking about oral sex and how that's um not a very good thing uh he talks about the uncleanliness and um how detested it is but um so that that would be what i guess catholics would say is an unholy um uh way of sex even if i would say even if you're in marriage that seems to be what um barnabas is saying there Mm -hmm. Um, but let's see 380. So one the first time I see it, yeah, it seems to be in 197. Yeah, so it's it is later. Um, but I wouldn't say it was that much later. No, th- so so whatever I say that it was uh it was later, there's a gap. There is there is a gap of about a hundred and forty years mm-hmm. as far as w- between Paul's writings and these writings talking about merit with the aim of marriage mm-hmm. um as far as uh dealing with contraception so it's not only about denouncing contraceptions but in denouncing them the early fathers now in what looks like to me are redefining the end of marriage accord accor- like in divergence from what paul wrote 140 yeah. years earlier so there seems to be a gap there to mm-hmm. me as far as 140 years or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, like, I, I guess, do you have any writings about them talking about any of that between that gap? Then? Because so, my- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, there was, there was Ignatius five, which uh, you and I discussed yesterday, texted back and forth about yesterday um, where Ignatius seems <sighs> I'm not necessarily sure what he's addressing. I'm not sure what the historical circumstances, but is essentially his letter to Polycarp in um, in section five. He says that people who are going to get married should get married as unto the Lord, not as burning with lustful passion. And on the service, it looks like this is a divergence from First Corinthians seven. Um, yeah, but I'm not necessarily sure if I can conclude that at this point, because I don't know what he's addressing, because he could be addressing people who are getting married just so that they could have sex and then they get divorced, you know, something like that. 
Now, does that does that necessarily disagree with what Paul's saying in First Corinthians seven? Let's just go with verse nine. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Um, and all the manuscripts agree that that's what Paul is saying there. Mm-hmm. So, so like, is there a difference between what Ignatius is saying and what Paul is saying? If so, why? Uh, is there an immediate divergence? But Ignatius is not saying at that point that the end of marriage is childbearing. He's just he's just warning against people getting married due to lustful passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as the apostolic fathers go, I read through them yesterday. And that was, by the way, a pure delight. But mm-hmm. I I have not I, I could not find really anything else that contributed to our conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um- and I would think that that because, OK, whenever you think about the, the church beginning and OK, what these early church fathers were trying to accomplish during that time, um, it seemed like a lot of their writings had to do with setting up the church and um, figuring out how to do with this issue of going from old Jewish traditions to what Christ set up. And you see that a lot where um, they'll talk about uh, what day the um, that Christians should be going to church and mm-hmm. what fasting and how they yeah, the fasting is funny. And it's everywhere. And yeah, don't don't fast as the hypocrites do on Wednesdays and Fridays or whatever it is. Yeah. That, yeah. Change yeah. up the days. That you fast. Change up the days to fast. <laughs> and so and so for me, it looks like or like the way that I'm seeing it is it looks like. They are um, extremely concerned with those types of issues, which is more toward. Um, sorry, I was. I realized that I could kind of hear myself. Um, it, it seems like it was more, more important stuff like that. But then they mm-hmm. realized that there was an issue of um, people going in and, and I guess changing the, the, what the boundaries of marriage were. And that's whenever they started addressing it. And so that seems to be what happened I, a lot in the fathers. May I put something into this before we get too far from it? Yes. Jim was, uh, it was an Ignatius that talking about the burning. Is that who it was? I've already forgotten. Yeah. It was Ignatius. Ignatius. Ignatius letter to sound, guys. Yeah. That's, that was before I unmuted. So it's not for me. Um, so, um, Here's here is um, what I just hear and I've not studied, but here's what I'm I'm think is the difference between the two. Um, I think that that Paul is talking about: Are you able to control this? Or are you going to need to go get married? Are you going to be able to stay celibate and have and be able? To, he thinks that would be the better way to to serve God would be to do that. But if you're the kind who has, who, who, who burns, who wants a woman. And I can probably tell you that by five years old, I knew I wasn't going to be one of those, 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 the guys who stay celibate, you know, I've been knowing I was going to marry all these years. I think that what Ignatius is talking about is, is, is somebody who just, who's trying to have sex today. He said, well, I'm going to get married. So I got some sex. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. I think that's what Ignatius is talking about though. Mm-hmm. You read that yeah. context. He's saying, Oh, don't go get married today just so you can have sex no are you going to be celibate or are you going to be monog- are you going to be monogamous which one is it going to be some of us are just not made to be celibate that's me i didn't but i didn't go get married just so i could have sex i waited until i found the woman i wanted to marry 
And that's when I became a monogamous. Um, you know, that's what I think the difference between the two is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't. I don't think that. I would never conclude right now that Ignatius is contradicting what Paul said. But Paul in these passages is very clear that hey, don't get married. But if you can't help yourself, you're burning with passion to get married. And so there's something else that's happening. My argument is that there's something else that's happening here other than, hey, get married so that you can have children. It's, yeah, but once you get married, it's not the and end you of have marriage. that passion. You have that passion, then you're going to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, but then you're supposed to give yourself to your spouse so that you don't fall into sin. And so it's well, one of those I mean, things. I, I agree. So you're gonna have, it's going to force you to have sex and have children. And I think that's where we're right, going but that, to. There's nothing mm-hmm. in the text saying that, though. Like you would, you would have to take later writings from the uh, fathers to say that that's what Paul was saying. But I, well, mean, think about, like, I guess what I, the way that I see this is, if you're looking at marriage, I think that we can both very clearly agree that um, marriage is the only holy relationship where it's aimed at an act that naturally produces children and that act is celebrated. The act is celebrated. Yes. But yes. It's a celebrated mm-hmm. act. And that's whenever we yeah. talk about songs, as a song of Solomon, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's a very clearly beautiful act in God's eyes. And I think that it's a gift given from God to us. But yes. if you do that act naturally, it doesn't mean that you're going to automatically produce children but it's going to be aimed at having children. If you, if you complete it naturally, then that's the natural result. Mm. Yeah. And so we can, we can discuss that a little bit more because it's not just that Catholics in there, as far as that being the natural result, there is a line of tradition that says that the end of marriage is childbearing, that that's the purpose of it. And, and, and that our, would, that would have to be something that you see in church tradition, not, not what you see in scripture. What you see in scripture is husbands having an obligation to give their wives who want children, children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but there's nothing as far as anything that talks about the end of marriage being that it's the husband and wife becoming one. It's a mystery of the church in Christ and there's nothing about childbearing in it. I would, I would say that. Okay. So um, two things. Well, first of all, I think that there was a misunderstanding whenever we were initially talking about this before we got on the podcast of how Catholics view marriage. And I don't at all, um, or I guess I, I can't even say I don't. There's there's not a, like the, the general idea of it being just, you only have sex to have marriage and like don't have fun with it or anything like that. It's, I'm sorry, you only have sex to uh, have fun with it. I'm sorry. Um, hey, there is a lot of background noise, and I'm not necessarily sure where that's coming from. I've been muting my phone. Well, yeah, it seems like it's every time. You, it, are you guys having an echo problem as far as yes. uh, hearing each other across the wall? I'm not. No, no, we're both on mute. And not, I'm not staying on mute until just now. My guess, if it, if I were to guess, it would be Pastor Chris's phone, but I, I don't know that. That's just I'm, an experience I'm, of podcasting. I am the guilty one, and I'm right now clicking on mute. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so 
the way that we view marriage is not just to have children, but it also is, again, a gift of God that um, brings about the beautiful consequences of having sex, which I mean, like, I, I think that um, it's very clear in the Bible that it's celebrated and it's um, a, a, an extremely good, according to like in God's eyes, it's a good uh thing for a married couple to do and that you are allowed to like have that lust towards each other during that act. Um, but I would say that it starts with um, the time before the fall, which is immediately after God created Adam and Eve, he puts them together and he blesses them. And immediately after he blesses them, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And so that's Genesis one and so he's like he sees their relationship as very good but it's also aimed at again this natural this is a distinct type of relationship and if you naturally do it then it's aimed at being fruitful and like multiplying and god even says be fruitful and multiply and i would say that that's a blessing and um and, and a command it is a blessing. If it's a command, though, I have a problem with that as far as it uh, all status. And so there is there is a problem with that line of argument. Why is it? Why don't you see those as going together with Paul then? Because Paul is a lifelong virgin. He's not being fruitful and multiplying. I understand what you're saying about man and woman, like having like going out and being fruitful and multiplying. But this is a creation account. That's why that's why I think the genre is important here. This is a creation account talking about man and woman on earth and what God is doing with them. And he's made it to where they can procreate. And that's great. And that's been a blessing. And he's told them to go and procreate. But as far as that being a command, there are many people who then break that command. It's not just people though. It's it, this specifically is marriage. I mean, whenever you're looking at Genesis one, eight, it's not like, Hey, Adam, like, you have to go find a woman and get married. And that wasn't possible then, but you don't see that command. Like, in fact, throughout the Bible, we recognize that there are people who are single, who are celibate. And we, we recognize that there are even mm-hmm. people in marriage who are intentionally celibate, but and in the Catholic church, you can do like fasting as far as celibacy goes to, for a specific reason. Um, like it's a, it's a, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I agree. But as far as that being a blanket command, I don't think that that's, dealing specifically with sex like the only time you have sex is so you could be fruitful and multiply i would think that, that has to do with marriage though if you're looking overall at marriage what is the aim and that's to be fruitful and multiply so it's it's aimed at having children um i was uh, yeah yeah i think that you and i are going to disagree on that because i see the genre as being a creation account of what men and women are mm-hmm. they're in the image of god they're able to procreate and be fruitful and multiply see but it's weird to me because um okay if you like if you break down what marriage is marriage is not about being selfish right it's about giving mm-hmm. yourself to the other and, and we yeah. can both yeah um so you're not in and what my concern is is that nowadays um, people are allowing the world to shape their view of love and marriage. And it wasn't until 1930 that there became a shift in, um, in Christian views towards contraception. I mean, up until that point, there was a clear consensus that you could not, uh, take like contraception and, and prevent 
having a child. Um, so I would say that like, if you're looking historically at all of this, then it's, um, that's, a, that's a this, mm-hmm. this, because this is, this, this goes right into a question I had about what Jim said and you're putting in the thirties, but Jim says something to the effect of concerning church tradition, the issue of contraception arose after the apostolic fathers, but still pretty early on. What kind of contraception were they using post-Christ pre? What were you talking about? What were they? What kind of contraceptions did they have back then? They, well, yeah, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. What I was going to say is like I, I was looking at. It's kind of interesting if you try to look up because I was I was trying to figure out the same thing, like what the what the history of all that was, and um, I saw something about alligators. I have no idea, but there were weird methods like using. Um, some kind of like animal skin and stuff like that to interfere with, I guess, um, the like the whole natural again, um, like ejaculation, like uh, go- going into the woman. I don't know. Oh my god, I hate talking about this. It makes me feel so <laughs> awkward. But they did have weird ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely there, an important there question something. because because I know now, you know, you have all kinds of ideas of what concept what what uh, interfering with it is a pill or a prophylactics um, rhythm method, all kinds of things. Well, the rhythm method is going to cause you to be Catholic. You're going to, you're going to have children. Um, but I, I just curious what, what exactly um, you were talking about, Jim, and what you, cause you said that there was contraceptive back then. Do you know what they were mm-hmm. talking about? Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know necessarily what they were talking about. Sarah could probably go into that in more detail, but it seems to me that some of the fathers were approaching the subject from the viewpoint that you were murdering a child. Now, I don't necessarily think that they were talking about the uh, fertilized egg. I think that they were making a theological argument about preventing a soul from being concepted even before it was being conceived before even it was allowed, I guess, by the parents. And so... I don't think that they were talking about abortion. I think that they were actually talking about the semen being blocked from going to the egg and that that, in effect, is theological murder. Yeah, so they, it seems like that they would apply, like, oils and honey and stuff in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And so it started off with um, acacia leaves and lint to be placed in the female Oregon, I hate talking. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> well, let me go. You don't have to go that far. I will say this. This is what I will say: that none of those things would work. The only, the only contraception that has ever worked, period, is the pill. If you hold it between your knees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what What I can say, there were like there were definitely methods. I mean, if you if you actually read what these guys said, just one second. Um, if you read what these guys, the the early fathers were saying, it, it Jim is right. Like they were very clearly talking about um, preventing themselves to. Uh, can I read some of these? I guess I can do that. Yeah, yeah, do that. Um, let's see. Here we go. When women reputed believers begin to resort to drugs for producing ster- uh, sterility and to gird themselves around so to expel what was being conceived on account of their not wishing to have a child either by slave or by any paltry fellow for the sake of their family and excessive wealth um behold into how great impiety that lawless one has proceeded by inculcating adultery and murder at the same time um so like and the, the reason i use that one specifically is it's talking about yes these women are 
somehow in like taking some kind of drug that prevents them from conceiving. Yeah, like, it, it makes them sterile. Yeah. Now, I will say that what he seems to be addressing there is they're not like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because mm-hmm. I tried reading that over and over and over again to see if I could draw a different conclusion. But he's talking about women who are having sex with people who are not their husbands and preventing themselves from getting pregnant. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, and I am okay with you saying that. I, I think okay. they were right about that. Right. What I think mm-hmm. that whenever you look at that, because that's what they talk about the adultery part. But yeah. he's talking about murder too. So you're talking about adultery and murder. Where's the adultery? Yeah, 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 that's true. Find the murder part. Where do you find that? And that's where mm-hmm. you where reality. Yeah, um, yeah, and and yeah. so this is just my personal analysis on that situation is that he's doing good to address the adulterous part, but I'm wondering if he overstepped in saying murder. You know, I was like, sometimes people overstep. Now I understand that that's going to get into infallible tradition. Is first, that's why I want to ask. Sorry, is mm-hmm. this infallible tradition as, as far as, far as, as contraceptions? Uh, okay, okay. Um, I know that it is infallible about the whole aimed at the procreation of children part um the contra thing i know that one pope made an infallible uh statement i think it was about the pill maybe um but i was i was reading a secular article about that and i honestly don't trust secular articles because it basically tried to play down how early catholics and then like leading up to now how they viewed contraception and it's like mm-hmm. eh, look at their writings everybody seems to be really against it yeah um, yeah and so i like but what what you can universally see in these and i think that's where there where there is going to be an issue is um i understand that you might say that they're playing it up like that that they're taking it way too seriously but whenever you have so many writers who like i um i haven't seen anybody else talk about um about this issue but it seems to be a very clear consensus that these people are saying don't use drugs and methods to block having children um mm-hmm. but i mean like like whenever you read uh saint clement of alexandria um to have uh coitus other than to procreate children is to do injury to nature Whenever you read that, I, I see it as there's two two things that go along with it. I still think that there's that lust that goes into it, and that's fine. And you can tell that in the Bible, like that's definitely part of it. But what it's saying there and what it's saying in a lot of these is that doing that, um, that act, it's just, again, naturally being open to children. Mm, yeah. And so I think that that's where I might. So so the. It's not necessarily the issue of contraceptions as it is what is the ultimate aim of marriage. Because you even had uh, Dwayne Trump, and I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't mind my mentioning him, but he even said that the end of marriage is procreation. And so this is something that seems to be widely accepted by Catholics, or at least people who come from a Catholic tradition. Is Am I mistaken to say that? The end of marriage is procreation of children? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's. I think that I think that it's part of it. Like, okay, whenever we talk, okay. and then, yeah, it's again, an integral part of it. It's yes, it's because whenever you actually look at um, how the catechism defines marriage, it is um, a partnership of the man and the woman of the whole of the life, and is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses 
and the procreation and education of offspring. Yeah. So it's both mm-hmm. of those things. And so that's where you get the uh, Corinthians and Ephesians, where you talk about how men and women are supposed to behave towards each other in marriage, which is love and respect and submit to each other and all those other stuff, like all those beautiful mm-hmm. things like people also struggle with, which is um, sad to see. Yeah. Yeah. And so I agree with that. Um, and I think that the. Can I, can I add something just anecdotal? Yeah. No. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. You guys are going back so forth so fast. And we also need to get Chris in here at some point. Uh, but let me just say this that just without just without discussing necessarily the Bible for just a minute, what show this is all about. But when Charlotte and I were young, we talked about these things. Obviously, you're going to, if you're not careful, you can have 400 kids. Um, the problem, the problem that ultimately we came up with is, is we couldn't figure out a healthy way to avoid it. Um, if you, again, if you use some type of rhythm or timing method, she's going to get pregnant. That's just a fact. And so you're going to have to either put a chemical somewhere or cover up something or, you know, still mm-hmm. putting chemicals inside the woman. I, I, I have a, I have a problem with saying this is where I kind of just listening to you. have come to the conclusion that there's two types of people, those who can live celibate and those who can't and should be monogamous. You can't be polygamous. And if you do that, the natural thing that's going to happen is you're going to have children. And the only way you can't have children is to do something unnatural. And so I, I kind of see where Sarah's coming from. Um, if you're going to get married, you're going to, you're told to take care of your wife's needs and your wife's got to take care of your needs. I think Chris has preached that at the pulpit. And if you do that naturally, you're going to have children. Unnaturally, you won't. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think it'd be a good time for Chris to step in. Well, uh, yeah. Don't forget to unmute, uh, John. Uh, John I, just, I just unmuted and. <laughs> I'm not sure that I should say anything in the midst of all of this because I'm mulling all of it over in my mind. And, uh, you know, I've been married for 54 years and uh, we only had three children. And but they have multiplied. I've got nine grandchildren and they're beginning to multiply. I have three great grandchildren. Uh, I'm I'm of the notion that, yes, uh, the ultimate goal. Of, of sex is that you will uh, have children. And and the other thing is that I believe it's clear in the scripture that sex is supposed to be fun. And uh, I, I think... Agree with, heck yeah. Uh, uh, what, what did you say? I said, I, heck yeah, I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can we get an amen here? Um, I can give you an amen on that one then. I think yeah. that, that oh. might be a bit better term there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, other other than that, I'm, I'm just kind of listening. I have uh, uh, preached on sex through the years. And, uh, uh, you know, I have never preached against contraception. Um, and you know, I'm mulling all of that over in my mind now. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just say this, that we're not going to be producing any more children, but we're going, uh, we're going to still be having a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm assuming that that your wife cannot have children at this point. Is that right? Well, yeah. You know, I'm 74, yeah. she's 73. My name yeah. is not Abraham and hers is not Sarah. <laughs> so there's God is not going to be doing any kind of like divine intervention there. So that's something that Catholics are totally fine with too. So if you have a couple who cannot have children, um, let's say that for some reason, um, something happened to one of them and like uh, the, the girl, whenever she was young and she can't have children, um, that girl is still allowed to marry. And, and, uh, as long as she is having, uh, like sex with her husband in a way that's again, open to procreation, then that is seen as a blessed marriage and, and a sacrament. Um, so that like, that's not a problem at all. And it's the same thing with, uh, older couples who can't have married like children anymore. Um, Anything that's like naturally prevents you from having children, that's fine. Mm. What is good? Because can I, the, can I ask a question? That, yes. some, of the, some of the texting that was done early before this podcast sounded like the Catholics were totally against uh, uh, having sex for fun, just to be blunt. No, no, no. I think that, that what, um, and, and I think the, the issue was that a lot of the fathers that I, like the, the father's writings that I sent to Jim, they did, they, Whatever the fathers wrote, they were generally trying to address an issue. And what the issue they kept on seeing was, it seems like, was in these women who were claiming to be Christian and trying to follow Christ, they were using contraception. And that's whenever they address, like, oh, we keep on hearing that these people are using contraception and we're equating that to murder here. And that you, like, part of marriage and, like, the, uh, that the aim of sex is to have children because that's what naturally sex does. Sorry, Glenn, I'll let you get into that. Well, well, you know, uh, I, I'm with Jim way back where he said that he thought that that was carrying it pretty over much over the line by saying that it's murder. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's between that's with God. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the true answer to that. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll let Glenn say something now. Well, what does the Catholic Church think of someone who had to have surgery? to save their life yet now that may renders them infertile let's put it that way that's fine that, that's um as long as it wasn't to the the surgery wasn't designed intentionally to prevent that like if it was necessary then yes that, that's still blessed in marriage and okay. um it's a gift from god and, and like there's no problem with that yeah so, um, so tying the tubes would be a sin as far as a Catholic's concerned. If if it was intentionally aimed at preventing further, like if, if the goal of that was to prevent having children, just say, because I don't want to have children. So like the, the goal of that is like, um, I don't have any other reason to tie my tubes except for I don't want to have children. Then that's where you're going to have a problem. I see. Yeah. But if there is a reason for doing something like that, that was like a medical reason, then that's nobody's going to, um, that's that's not a problem. Hey, I'm going to add, say a confession. I should go to a priest and keep it private, but I'll give a confession. Charlotte okay. did get get a tumor ligation. Okay, we yeah. did do that after Doc, <laughs> and we regret it. We did. Mm-hmm. It was not natural. There's something yeah. not natural about it, and and um, I just want to say that from someone who's gone through it, it just we regretted it. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, just whenever you talk about 
um, the impact. I, I specifically want to talk about the pill here because um, it's it's part of the sexual revolution, and I think that you can say that the sexual revolution is. I, I don't know if anybody here would say that, but um, is really just a concern for single people. But I think that it's unfortunately shaped, it shifted significantly the view of marriage and the purpose of marriage. And I think that this, the sexual revolution has made everything extremely selfish. And, um, and it's made people realize, oh, I can enjoy this one person by myself um, without worrying about bringing anything else into that to, I guess, uh, mess with our idealistic life right now. Like I'm enjoying you, you're enjoying me. Um, and I don't want to bring anything else into this, but you think about like historically in the Bible, children were seeing nothing as a blessing, like, except for a blessing. Like it was, um, whenever God talks to Abraham, all he can talk about is, um, I'm going to make your, your children like the sand or whatever it is. Like it's, it's seen as, um, you are going to be so fruitful that you're not going to be able to count how many descendants you have. And, um, that's just seen everywhere throughout the Bible is how much joy children bring into the marriage and bring to God through that marriage. But see, he, he said that they're going to be like the sand and they're going to be like the stars. Mm-hmm. And so the, the sand was, was down on earth. The stars are up in heaven. And some theologians uh, believe that he was talking about the also uh, the natural birth of, of building the Jewish race, but also the the spiritual birth of many different continents of people that would be born again into the family of God, and they would inherit the blessing of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful. Like I think that, but. Um, it's also very clear that whenever you talk about the sands part, I mean, like he and his wife were dying to have a child and, um, there are other people in the Bible who are the same way where it was again, seen as a blessing, um, to have that. And nowadays people have shifted it to, I want to avoid having a child as much as possible. Get that away from me. And remember Sarah handed him off to Hagar and that ended up being a really bad thing. I mean, uh, because of the birth mm-hmm. of his, you know. yeah, because it wasn't within like, and that's that's where okay. So I actually went into polygamy because um, obviously we're we're against polygamy, but it's interesting because I was uh, listening to um, a podcast about a disgusting, disgusting. It actually made me cry. I've never cried during these before, but um, it was two guys who had started their own little tiny stupid cult. And one guy was writing as if he was like, God was speaking through him. And, um, I think this happened, you know, it's probably, I think it happened in Utah, which not be surprising, but they were talking like in his writings, he tried to use the Bible to justify polygamy and, um, and marriage to children. And that's the part that just, uh, that hurt, uh, because they're involved. And, um, anyway, uh, it's interesting because, Throughout the Bible, even if it's sometimes potentially permitted, uh, polygamy never leads to something good. It's never something that's like seen as like blessed, like, oh, you're so blessed that you have that many wives. Like, no, like whenever you look at 
what happened with with Abraham and Hagar. Um, there's that extremely serious issue with uh, the two women having that conflict and Hagar being treated like trash. And it's like, it was very sad. And it was the same thing with David's problems. And I would even say like Jacob, um, the reason that everything happened with Joseph is that Jacob loved Joseph because it was his favorite wife's son. And so it's like, there's just, um, but that ended up so awesomeness. <laughs> That's true. Despite, despite, the sin. Kidding, I'm just, I'm just yeah, I know, yes. I know, I know. But there's no, one no, other no. thing that I think all of you are missing though. Mm-hmm. That was before Groucho Marx. Cause remember Groucho Marx had a beautiful woman in his right arm and mm-hmm. a beautiful woman in his left arm. And he said, would you marry me to the right? She said, yes. And he asked one to the left and she said, yes, but that would be big of me. He said, yes, it would be big of you. It'd be big of me, big of all of us. <laughs> well, remember now, they, they, uh, the kings of uh, Israel, uh, they had not only, uh, they, were, they were involved in polygamy, but also they took their concubines. And so they had not only wives, but they had, girlfriends i guess you'd say and the kings were explicitly commanded not to do that yeah the kings were not the best people sometimes yeah there's there's actually there's actually a commandment uh i can't i can't cite it right now as far as kings not taking wives for their own as far as from the country um Uh many wives for their own that's something that's explicitly commanded against that they do over and over again hey there's something that i want to bring up though that we were touching on and then we left it is the issue of children being a blessing time and again throughout the Bible. We are mm-hmm. living in a new age, like Sarah said, where it's not necessarily the children are seen as an evil, but there are people who are now not necessarily wanting children as much as they did in the past. And as far as I could tell, the Catholic Church is seeing that as a as a as a sin. Yes, that's a problem. Okay, the Catholic Church sees that as a sin, it's not wanting children. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so this is one of the issues that I want to address because um, on the surface, it seems that there's something similar happening in Paul's day where he says, considering the circumstances, I would advise that no one get married, even though the idea that marriage leads to conception and conception is a blessing. That's something that's real throughout the Bible. Paul is telling them, stay the way you are. Don't get married unless you're burning with passion. So how would you address that as far as saying, well, Paul, as, how would you address my saying, well, Paul is telling them to do something that's contrary to nature? I would say that there's, okay, so you have an issue. Oh my gosh, I can move the children outside. I know that's really cute. Um, okay, we don't think that everybody needs to get married. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying if you get married, then that you have that, natural order towards the procreation and education of children. And so whenever we talk about vocations, there's different types of vocations. I'm currently praying about my vocation right now because it is the married life or it is basically doing as Paul did and staying a virgin and devoting your life towards Christ. Um, Mm. And so we recognize that there are different vocations for different people. And I think what Paul is saying there is, he's found his vocation and that's awesome. Like he he's, and, and I think that maybe he's kind of looking at his own vocation and is extremely pumped up about it in modern terms. And, uh, I think that that's how, like, that's something that's also concerning is people who, um, potentially go into the vocation of, uh, 
shepherding Christ's flock, um, they probably should be as pumped up about it as uh, mm-hmm. Paul is and make sure they get into it for the right reasons. Um, right. But, but that but that children is a blessing. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that everybody should get married, yeah. though. And yeah. so I don't think that necessarily follows that children are a blessing means that everybody who gets married has children. I think that children is a blessing within marriage. So yeah, I, yes. follow, I don't follow that, Jim. Try again. So that children is a blessing, and that's found throughout the entire the children are blessing specifically to women. It's found over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Yet Paul's commanding women, widows, and uh, people who are not married to stay unmarried, even though these are considered a blessing. Well, Paul is essentially, what's that? I'm sorry, I keep going. Well, Paul is essentially telling people, forfeit your blessing, stay single. Well, whenever we're talking about marriage, doesn't necessarily then follow that if you are married, you have to accept that blessing, or can you do as something similar as Paul recommended, saying you can forfeit this blessing if you stay not necessarily celibate, because the Catholics believe that you could stay celibate in marriage, but um, in marriage, yeah, Catholics believe that. That did happen a few times in the yeah, like there. I actually was looking into that yesterday. Yes, you can. so not not every marriage is for is for the act of procreate or for the act of procreation. It can be a celibate marriage. Is that the act of sex is for procreation? And so what I'm saying is that if if Paul well, is telling well, people to What's up? Well, I'm sorry. I, I keep thinking there's, there's delay on the phone. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Okay. I said, well, what I'm saying is that if Paul is telling people to forfeit these blessings so that you can live this sort of lifestyle, is it not something similar to say, well, I'm going to forfeit this blessing so I can live this type of lifestyle in marriage? All right. This is what I would say the difference would be. If, if the reason you got married, all right, there's, he, I think that Paul is saying that there's that if you... Don't if you can resist the urge to have sex, then that's the be- that's the best thing to do is to go become mm-hmm. a celibate person. But if you have that burning desire to have sex and you get married, well, I'm going to tell you that means that you're going to be subject to the blessing of children. He, that never is what, if, that. he is saying that he, he never said that. He never he never he is, he is saying if you he is saying he is saying either you don't have sex or you do. And yeah. I'm saying that if you do, then there's nothing natural you can do to stop it. It's going to happen. You're going to have babies. And I think that that's when he's going to have you procreate. You're, he is saying all along, if you can be celibate, great. But if not, you're going to have sex. If you have sex, then you're going to have children. And he doesn't I, have, It's that simple. I agree he, with Jim. I, yeah. think that, I think something was going on at that time that it 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 just wasn't it wasn't a thing to do to get married and it, and if you could keep from getting married that you ought to so mm-hmm. i'm i don't have a problem Wait. with that either i don't have a problem with that if sarah doesn't want to get married that's fine but uh-huh. if she gets married if she gets married because she wants to have sex then she's gonna have sex she's gonna have children let me end, but the I primary end sorry go ahead sarah sorry oh, yeah sorry what i'd like to add to that is that paul doesn't necessarily need to say that you're going to have like he doesn't have to mention children as part of that it's just naturally flows from it if you can't prevent your lust then get married and you can have sex in marriage but the natural flow of that is what we're saying is what leads to children 
And it absolutely is. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely is. But, but the point that I'm making is, is that if that aim is to give children, the, one of the reasons that Paul says to get married is then voided by the church. Whenever they say the only reason that you could do this, if, if you unhindered have sex, that leads to procreation, because then what people are going to do is withhold that sex and withhold that desire that they have for their wife if they're not in a situation that they want to have sex. And that pretty much voids everything that Paul was set, suggesting there in First Corinthians 7. And so that's ask you this question about the celibate, the celibate marriage, which is I, that is a new idea to me. So I assume then, if you want to read the Bible consistently, both of them absolutely have to agree that you're going to have a celibate marriage, because if one of them wants sex, you got to do it. I, can I tell? I can right. give an example. Mm-hmm. Of- well, I want, I want that question answered. Well, there, so what was? Could you could you say the question again? All right. So you're saying that there is in the Bible examples of celibate marriages. No, right? no, I'm not saying that there are examples in the Bible. I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I, 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 so suppose, example, Jim agreed with it. Jim agreed with it that there could be celibacy in marriage. I'm no, I said that the Catholics think that celibacy can be a marriage. Wait, oh, okay. Can I, can I clarify? Because I'm the one that knows this stuff. There was a celibacy <laughs> between. So David took in the concubines of some guy that was slaughtered. I can't remember his name. And whenever he took in those concubines as his wife, there was an agreement that there was going to be celibacy there, but the marriage was part of um, protection. And I guess like taking those women in to keep them from like, I, I guess, like other evils out there. So it was more of an uh, it was a weird agreement, but it was very strange. It wasn't normal, like a, not like a normal thing. Whenever you see whenever you think about people who are normally lustfully getting married, then there's that that tendency towards sex. But the Catholics say that um, this is part of whenever you talk about um indulgences and and stuff like that you can fast from and it's a couple's agreeing to fast from having sex so it's like a it's a a, a brief period of time and it's aimed at uh increasing holiness now were you how much time i got left were you talking about abigail sarah when you were talking about someone that he took in marriage and uh and and actually some of the other wives i guess he took also because the uh Abigail's Abigail's husband had uh, died of a stroke because of getting drunk and being in tremendous anger. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which ones it was, to be honest. I just wrote down David and his concubines as an example. Yeah, yeah so, I don't think it's Abigail. Abigail wasn't a concubine. No, um, no, was, no. So, so the point that I'm making, Dad, and I, I'm hoping I can make this clear, is that one of the purposes of marriage, I'm not saying that this is the central purpose. Sarah and I agree on the central purpose of marriage. It's a mystery and it's a covenant. And it's something that reveals to the world, to the outside world, what the relationship between Christ and the church is. But as far as one of the practical purposes of marriage that's outside of that is for husbands and wives to give themselves to each other so that they don't fall into adultery outside of marriage. If the only time, if the only time that they can have sex is unhindered to where they're probably going to have a kid from this, then there's going to be a lot of withholding of that desire from each other. And that defeats the whole purpose that Paul explicitly referenced in first Corinthians seven in the first place. I think that you can unite these things though, where, 
um like we can all agree that that sex is a beautiful act as this song of solomon very clearly get oh my god it gets into um but uh at the same time i i think that you can still have like if you're aiming your life in a direction um you still need to control certain behavior and so um i think that it i love eating chocolate cake and god's probably like heck yeah, get some of that chocolate cake. It's really yummy. But I don't want to eat the full chocolate cake. That's not good. That turns into greed and gluttony and whatnot. And I think that it can be the same thing with your own wife, where sex can be a really beautiful thing, but you don't want to aim your life at just constantly being bunny rabbits, basically. And so the Catholics see it as having a responsibility towards... um controlling that behavior but also again um you you, like you yeah you don't want to deny each other each other's lust but that shouldn't be something that's just uh unstoppable basically Mm -hmm. yeah and i i would i think i would disagree on that point um in the sense that i can't find it anywhere in scripture where it says withhold your desires toward each other in some sort of capacity it all must be like withhold your tithing like there are things that you could do in excess that are really good. And one of those things that I see is throughout the scripture is giving yourselves to each other in marriage and that there's really nothing in scripture that says you should withhold it in some capacity out of self-constraint. Where I do see it is in Jewish tradition and in Catholic tradition that's outside of scripture that what I argue goes against the marriage, the message of scripture in regard to sexual relationships between a man and a wife. I agree. I disagree. Um, <laughs> but no, I, like, I guess that that's just going to be a, a point that um, that we're going to have a problem with. Now, whenever you talk about whenever you talk about Paul, though, again, I would say that that is more a of a discussion about vocation and not about mm. um, about marriage specifically um children in marriage mm-hmm. for the record yeah. i concur concur is usually properly with sarah mm-hmm. which means it's two to two and i guess then is the deciding <laughs> oh thanks uh that's awesome i don't know this one one i have a lot of issues with um because of some personal reasons but that i won't talk about but also because I think, in my opinion, that, you know, marriage being sacred with the Lord, that he gives a lot of latitude if you're monogamous in that marriage uh, for what the couple decides. Uh, obviously, if one partner doesn't want to do something, they should uh, if, you know, uh, we go through life and we're together um, as a couple, you better or worse is something in the promise. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's how I kind of I see this as uh, God gives us a lot of latitude once we're in that monogamous loving relationship. But whether it, you know, there's going to be times just naturally let's say that you you know catholic families are traditionally thought of as having a lot of children in them uh oh they're catholic that's why they have 10 kids 
that's what I, I've heard that many times because they don't practice contraception uh, of the traditional way. You know, I don't know how, uh, you know, it's viewed, but for me, I think there's naturally a time when women are going to be infertile in their lives, period. Uh, I think there's a time when uh, you're not going to be doing it like rabbits, as Sarah put it. Um, you know, most of the time when you're first married, you have, that is traditionally when people seem to get busy. Um, and, and, you know, there's even... The when, does that, when does that non-busy time start? Uh, I think <laughs> after the first child. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I don't know. There, there's, this one is the one that has always been very tough for me. But I don't think my personal view... Uh, from what I've read and what I've seen, is uh, that it is not, uh, it is for both. And even in, I think the Pope actually has even said this, that it's not for, it's for procreation and recreation. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that I think couples have to kind of, you know, there's a lot of, since I don't know what's in other people's mind, even my wife's, by the way, I really can't read her mind. It sucks. It sucks. Oh, it's, yeah, right. That's what's in her mind. Yeah, yeah. How not to. Anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, there, there is, you've got to come to this agreement in your relationship, in your marriage, and move forward with it. And I think God says, okay, you're doing this in marriage. It's from a loving place. I know what's in your heart. So I'm good. That's my thought. Yeah, let, me, let me wrap it up this way. But first say this, Jim, I do get what you're saying. I'll make sure, you know, just because I, I have a different opinion, don't mean I get it. I get what you're saying. I really do. And that is basically that the main purpose of getting married is not to have children. And if, if, if anybody who says that is going against what you think is clearly in the Bible, specifically First Corinthians seven. Well, I think that right. it goes against the message of marriage, as far as uh, the husband and wife enjoying each other excessively, just as Christ and the church enjoy each other excessively. Yes, I think you can enjoy each other excessively, but you're just going to have an excessive amount of kids, and that's a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> See now, now I don't have to summarize. Sarah. Oh, there you go. We got it. And I, think, and I think, I think Chris is probably the most pragmatic of all of them. I'm going to get married. I want to have fun. And if I have enough fun, I'm going to have some children. Mm -hmm. Is that, does that summarize you, Pastor Chris? Oh, man, that sums it up perfectly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've, we've, we've reached our time limit. I will say that I enjoyed the conversation between my two children again. And obviously every time Pastor Chris and and Glenn add in it, it adds another element to it, and I appreciate it. Um, I I I think it went well for us being able to podcast in this. Um, I think beautiful weather. We just mm -hmm. not set up in North. We're just not set up in Louisiana to drive in this. If this were Minnesota, 
they would be on motorcycles. Out there. <laughs> They're required to stay indoors. They get mad at you if you try to leave. So what do we get to do? We get to enjoy a snow day. Right. So I've got to try to figure out a way to make a living with um, what? How many how many people in this house and how many animals? I think there's like, maybe uh, yeah. There there's what eight people I think right now in the house, and then there's two cats and three dogs. <laughs> no, and three cats. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Well, thank oh. you guys for listening. Thank you guys for podcasting. And um, to, this is this is Wednesday, so we'll find out what we did like Monday um, tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, thank you guys, all of you. Just, <laughs> all I want to know is, is, are you able to get to PJ's coffee today? Well, you know, I don't know. That depends on your driving skill. Um, I'm not even sure <laughs> if they have uh, decided to open or not. If you can't get enough people to get there uh, to open it up, you can't open it, but they might be. But if not, you know, hopefully you did like I did, which I went and bought a bunch of PJ's coffee in Houghton and uh, had it stored <laughs> in my cabinet so I could brew it myself because, you know, I'm not far away from some way to brew coffee even if it's just water and uh, a pot, I can do it. So, uh, but, you know, right now I'm enjoying delicious Zulu coconut uh, from PJ's. And if you once, trust me, by Wednesday, this is all going to be gone. You get in your little car, you can drive successfully over to PJ's in Houghton and get delicious coffee, boosted teas, hot teas, if you wish. Uh, a wonderful pastries, um, breakfast sandwiches and lunch sandwiches and zap chips. And of course, all natural Red Bull. Sounds like a winner. Thank all of you guys. And thank all the listeners. We'll be back for more fun tomorrow. All right. Bye-bye. All right. See you.